Hi everyone, thanks for joining again in what is now developing into a weekly live podcast about the latest developments about climate change and a range of related global issues. And those that follow me on Twitter or those who read my newsletter know that I like to write about and talk about positive news. And if that is your expectation for my kickoff of today's podcast, then you should maybe close your ears for the next minutes because the balance between the good news and the bad news this week is clearly a very negative one. And that is not just because of the record-breaking number of COVID infections with Omicron uh, floating around the world and infecting people. And if I remember correctly, I uh, heard that in the next uh, two months, uh, about half the people in Europe, and probably that also means half the people in the U.S., will get infected with this virus. Uh, but for future historians, the pandemic will pale in comparison to the structural challenges that the world faces because of climate change. And this week we learned, for instance, from American scientists at, at, at NOAA and NASA that about one in four people on the planet experienced a record hot year in 2021. And there were record high temperatures in parts of Northern Africa and South Asia and in parts of South America last year. And in 2021, the Arctic sea ice continued to decline and also the oceans recorded yet another record year for heat content. And also this week, another institution, the European Climate Agency Copernicus, concluded that 2021 was the fifth hottest year on record. And, that, and that's, I believe, more relevant that the last seven years were the hottest ever documented. And then there was yesterday the publication of the latest annual global risk report of the World Economic Forum. And before I go there, I just want to say that I'm not alone in being pessimistic today because less than 16% of the respondents of this, what is now called the Global Risk Perception Survey of the World Economic Forum, are optimistic or positive about the outlook for the world. That is 16%. That is extremely negative uh, compared to, let's say, the 1950s after World War II was over and everybody was experiencing progress, was having jobs, was getting their first washing machine and their first car in the family. And there was a lot of optimism. We're clearly in a different stage of world history at the moment now that we have entered the Anthropocene, the age of man. And the only good news that I have for you in this introduction is actually that Alistair Doyle is joining me again as a co-host. Um, Alistair, welcome back. Thanks, Alex. I, I know you have seen the report. Um, and and uh, yeah, so what what have these 1,000 experts, uh, what, what have they concluded are the, are the biggest risks? Well, right, Alex. Thanks for um, thanks for the introduction, and great to be back with you. Um, it's as you're right. It's pretty grim, isn't it? There's not a lot of positive news here. We'd all been hoping after two years of a pandemic that things could hardly get worse. But here, the the the, the thousand experts have all said for the next um, ten years that the most severe risks are mostly about the environment. Um, three of the top ten are about the environment. The, the very top one now is climate action failure. 
which means, I guess, that governments just don't fail to, just fail to tackle this. We get a fractured approach to fighting climate change. Governments just don't come out and cut greenhouse gases as they've all promised to do. Um, Berger Brenda, the, head, the president of the World Economic Forum, gave his news conference uh, presenting the report, and he said, our planet is on fire. Um, our planet is on fire, and we have to deal with this. This is a risk we really, really know. We cannot say we're faced with a blind spot. You know, there may have been blind spots in the past to threats of like the pandemic or to terrorism, but this is something that they've we've known about for a long time. So the environment takes the top three spots there, with, followed by extreme weather and biodiversity loss. Um, it takes, then you get back down to social cohesion erosion, whatever that means, um, and then to livelihood crises, infectious diseases is in sixth position now. Um, maybe there's hope that we, that, you know, the pandemic will slowly erode, um, slowly disappear into history. But then we've then we got we get back to another two environmental ones of human environmental damage, natural resource crises, um, followed up the rounding out the list of these grisly, grim ten um, um, risks on the global scale of debt crises and geoeconomic confrontation. So yeah. When when I hear this, uh, I I think there's there's something strange. The the people that go to the World Economic Forum are, if I'm not mistaken, the leaders of the world, the CEOs of the fossil fuel industry and all kinds of industries. And basically, these people, the ones that are to blame for the mess that we are in, are giving themselves a yellow card and are now saying. We, the World Economic Forum, basically they themselves have been warning you, which is basically themselves, all the time that things are going wrong. Why haven't you taken any action? So the the balls in their own court, right? They are the cause of it. And they also are the ones now to recognize that they haven't done a thing. So I think they should all resign. Is, is that a right <laughs> conclusion? <laughs> I think so. I think this has been a, the World Economic Forum is often a pretty messy place. So after all, you know, climate has been the top one among the top risks that these very same experts who say, you know, that it's easy to take pot shots at them. They all turn up in private jets and go to a Swiss ski resort for a few days, um, which sounds like quite a pleasant thing to do in, in January. Although this time, of course, it's going online in the next few days. But, uh, you know, as you say, they're the ones who've caused, caused this problem. It's not like they haven't known about this, uh, the environmental problems we're facing. They, they said that uh, environmental risks made the top 10 for the first time 10 years ago, uh, uh, rather 11 years ago, in 2011. It, um, climate change rose to join the top five risks here. So, um, you know, there's been an awful lot of talk and not so much action so far. Yeah. Um, one of the one of the one of the questions of the news conference is actually a rather pointed question, saying, "Are you talking into the void? Does anybody actually listen to you?" I mean, of course, they should be listening to themselves, as you've pointed out. But I, I wonder, does does this translate into policy? Do you think any of this? Well. Very, very slowly it does. But if, if, if you look at the history of things, I, th I think there's always a, um, a, a, a pivotal starting point when uh, James Hansen spoke 
to uh, the, 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 the U.S. Senate in, I think, 1988, in a hot summer day that actually was for years a record hot day in Washington, that he was saying this planet is getting really hot. He was representing the best scientific views in the world in 1988, speaking to the representation of the population of the, 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 the most powerful country in the world at, at that moment, and I guess it still is in the US. So from that moment on, nobody could say anymore, we didn't know. That is, that is 1988, it was my, my, my student days. Just uh, four years later, 1992, the whole world agreed that we needed a treaty to deal with climate change. That's why the, the, the UNFCCC started in, uh, in, in, in those days. That was those, the days of the, of the Rio conference. And so from then on, in the 1990s and the first decade and, and, and the second decade, so for, for 30 years, Basically, we got nowhere. So if you look at the, at the very first um, World Economic Risk Report, that was in, in 2006, that is, that is fascinating reading. It's the very first time that they did it. It's very much the same methodology as today. So they ask the best uh, scientists and CEOs and, and experts in the world, about a thousand people, what they see as their risks. And they do it in, in, in two ways. You can uh, define risk by the probability that it will happen and by the severity of it when it takes place. So if you score both uh, high on the risk, that's the likelihood that something will happen and the impact that it will have, that is what you should really be afraid for. And then if you look at 2006, what were we really afraid for that was likely and that was really bad? That was things like terrorism and weapons of mass destruction and uh, Iraq was high on the list and that kind of stuff. And the only one that was not like geopolitical and security risk was a pandemic. And that was because there was SARS in Hong Kong at that, at that very moment. So even though we knew since 88 and even though we decided in 92 that this was so important that we needed to work on it, Still in 2006, one year before the Inconvenient Truth uh, movie of Al Gore, uh, climate change was just nowhere to be seen. It was the only environmental risk that was a little bit mentioned in the 2006 report, uh, something that was uh, likely to be true, but the impact was, um, whether it was serious or not, was so heavily debated that nobody really cared. And that was, of course because the very same people that go to the World Economic Forum paid all kinds of consultancy uh, and, 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 and media um, outlets to create confusion that there wasn't a problem. And the only reason that they paid for it was because they knew that there was a problem. And these very same people are now slowly recognizing uh, 35 years too late that indeed this is a problem, which doesn't mean that we take the appropriate action, which they now identify as the very biggest risk of all risks, that they don't take action, which is said by the people that don't take action. The World Economic Forum is a fascinating place. What do you think? <laughs> indeed, it's a very unusual place, isn't it? I mean, and you have, of course, the last time there was the pandemic, before the pandemic, or two years ago, right now in January, two years ago, Donald Trump, 
went there for the only time. And uh, amid all these thousands of experts warning of policymakers, warning about the risks of the environment, Donald Trump turned up and made a speech boasting about coal power and how the economic, um, the U.S. economy was growing precisely because he was pulling out of the Paris Agreement. And with Greta Thunberg, the Swedish climate activist, sitting in the front row, um, he, he sort of said, uh, to embrace the possibilities of tomorrow, we must reject the perennial prophets of doom and their predictions of the apocalypse. You know, clearly he was, he was saying the whole agenda here is, I disagree with it. I just don't believe you guys. This climate change it is a hoax. And as long as you have, you know, the world's most powerful country led by somebody who denies this, we're not going to get very far. Um, so I, I think that, you know, that they're, they're, they're in a way, these these risk indices, these risk projections are, are shouting into the void until we can get every country really on board. Now with Joe Biden as president, of course, we have there is a chance of proper global action uh, on climate change. But, um, you know, the outcome of the Glasgow um, summit last last uh, November was to come back next year with tougher promises to, to combat climate change. But we're way off track with, with anything like that. Uh, and looking through this report a bit earlier today, uh, skimming through it, um, you know, it also does come up with some rather warnings that, you know, will people like Trump will could seize upon because it, it does warn of the, the you know the difficulties of this transition. It's an unprecedented transition of the world economy, turning it upside down. Where it says that you know shifting away from carbon-intensive industries, which currently employ millions of workers, will trigger economic volatility, deepen unemployment, and increase societal and geopolitical tensions. Among the risks here, of course, there are. And massive, massive benefits of this green transition, which is attracting, you know, far more investments now. But it, it just sort of highlights the complexities of, of, of how are we going to get there? I don't know. What, what do you, how do you think we're going to do this? Are we going to work? Is this going to work? Well, it is, it is extremely complex, but we, we, we don't have any alternative. It's not like, you know, shall we go on holiday to, to France or to Germany and, and you know, we've we got all kinds of options. I mean, the only option, if we want to get through this phase of, of humanity alive, is that we, that we do rapidly and drastically and worldwide uh, take action uh, to get rid of fossil fuels and there's a few other causes like 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 land use etc but uh, the main thing is just to get to get rid of fossil fuels if we focus on that uh, that, that would work and um, um, are we uh, is it difficult yes it's extremely difficult I mean even if every living human on the planet would tomorrow become a member of the Green Party in, in each of their countries and they would all unite and, 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 and agree that we should focus on nothing else than, than getting rid of fossil fuels. Even then, it would be a really difficult project because you're, you're changing the world economy. Uh, you you need uh, you need new technologies. You need massive investments. It will change uh, the labor market. It will change the economy. It will change the the the, the sources that we are trading in the world. Um, it's uh, I I think it will lead 
ultimately to, to, to jobs and to a better world and that this is the only option and I believe that if you do it now it is better uh, than if you wait another day. Um, but yes, it, it will be highly complex as we have navigated these kind of complexities before. It is sometimes compared to the days of the sailing ships and the clippers in, in let's say, in the, in the 1850s when slowly but surely the first shipping companies decided to move to, uh, to steam engines instead of sailing. And there were a lot of arguments for and against. And it wasn't a clear-cut case that, that, that the automatic, that the machine boats would win from the sailing boats. And if you move too early, you made a, a very expensive investment in a very heavy malfunctioning steam machine that gave up midway in the ocean and you didn't have sails anymore to get back home. Uh, so if you move too fast with the wrong technology and the wrong knowledge, you didn't help yourself. But if you stay too long on uh, on sailing, you 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 couldn't move forward with your ship when there was no wind. And uh, the competition that had already moved to steam machines won from you. And it's that kind of transition that took about thirty years. And this transition is in some ways similar. Um, increasingly, the uh, it becomes clear and rapidly it becomes more clear that uh, the winning side is, um, uh, is, is, is moving to renewables and, and to a certain extent that includes nuclear, by the way. But first and foremost, it should, of course, be uh, wind and solar. Um, but yes, it is extremely complicated. And that's why these, these leaders in the world should, should get to work. And yeah. um, so I think on this, on this top 10 of problems... One that is missing and that I think should should be the star number one above anything else should be leadership, should be having competent leaders that recognize the threat when they're told that there is one for 30 years and that they then actually take action and design the right policies to steer us through this transition phase to a better, safer, and 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 healthier future for all. That's a really good point. Yeah, I, I guess we're falling into the as you were saying at the beginning that these these this is uh, people marking their own homework, isn't it? Really, that these are the yeah. leaders who've written this report, who are asked, who surveyed in this, and they, you know to ask somebody to give themselves a, an F grade on leadership um, <laughs> is probably not. The best thing to ask a, a, a government leader or a, or a policy expert is it? But you're right, uh, leadership is really lacking, isn't it, on climate change? But, you know, Joe Biden came back into power saying that the U.S. would reassert its leadership in climate change. But you know, has the U.S. ever really been a leader on climate change? I'm not sure. Um, under Barack Obama, they did design the Paris Agreement, but you know, U.S. emissions are around the level of 1990, which was when they were meant to start reducing emissions from, they've come down quite sharply from 20, uh, from 2005 levels, which was the, they did rise very sharply in the 1990s. So they're coming down, they come down from there, but they're, you know, we're way off the halving of emissions um, this decade that, um, that um, the United Nations says we need to do. Um, and one of the things, you know, that they're, they're looking at in this report too, is the way that, you know the different pace of of government action. The, the since there's no global leadership, 
countries are going to move at different paces on this, and that will could exacerbate tensions. Um, you know, I was looking up the price of gasoline in the U.S. today, and it's about um, three point six dollars a gallon. Whereas over here in Norway, it's um, it's like it's more than eight dollars, so it's more than double the price. You know, there's there's always rumblings in the European Union, isn't there, in Europe, to say we're going to put a, a penalties upon um, stuff that's made abroad that comes from places where you know we think uh, energy costs are too low. Um, you could have all sorts of trade disputes uh, about these sort of things, couldn't you, in future? Um, which are really also really big risks, aren't they? So you're right, leadership. How do we solve that, though, I wonder? <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's all connected. I, I think what you say about the U.S. is interesting. First, before I forget, I was fascinated by the words that you read by Donald Trump. He must have had a speechwriter. There were <laughs> there were so many words with, with more than two syllables that he would never have put down on paper himself, at least yeah. not with a... Yeah, of, the, of the perennial mistake. prophets of doom and their predictions of the apocalypse. Yeah, that's quite a yeah, quite a tough apocalypse. one to get out, isn't it? That is just uh, it's 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 man who who cannot uh, uh, he, he makes mistakes in there as an indication of, of 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 place and there as in a possessive possessive sense. Um, even for me as a, as a non-native speaker, my English <laughs> is far better than his and. And these are words that, uh, so that's, that's uh, for the first time in my life, I'm impressed by Donald Trump, but that's, I'm sure that will last very briefly. But uh, to come back to, to, to leadership, I think what is happening right now in the United States, the dismantling of, of democracy, which is the basis of everything that, that the U.S. Is, is built upon, is an extremely dangerous development. And one of the ways that we, that we see the impact of what is happening there is that um, the the Biden administration was completely incapable of delivering what we expected of them because of of the way the American democracy is now malfunctioning because what is happening in Washington is not representing the will of the people because there the the whole way the system is working well first of all there there's the very strange way that the state as as let's say montana has just as many senators as as the state as california i think the first one has like 2 million people living there in california has i don't know 50 million or something that is already a structural problem from from the days of jefferson um, but then there is the the gerrymandering that has been going on for a long time and it's Generally, not always, but but uh, it's, it's mostly in the, to the advantage of the Republican Party. But then, much more recently, now that the states are actively working to become less democratic, make making it more difficult for the people to vote, so that there's a, a self-selected elite, uh, basically of, of 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 one part of the population that is far more uh, Republican that they are in a better advantage to vote, that puts everything on its head. And that, that, that makes it extremely difficult uh, to take the kind of decisions that not only America needs and that the world needs. Because what you said about America and leadership, it is not so much that America is like one um, state form of, of, of climate activists. They will never be that. But without America, we can never have 
effective climate action in the world. So the, the so it's it's not that America is leading, but America is setting the kind of minimum level um, that you can work with. So their leading role in Paris has not been that they were so much on the progressive end to really take climate action, but they were playing a leading role because they realized that we need some kind of treaty. And in, in that position, especially John Kerry has been extremely helpful in, in making the compromises that, that and, 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 and bringing uh, the parties together. But if you would have left it to more progressive countries, it would have been a, a, a far better treaty that would actually have the teeth to, to, to do something and would have, would have included concrete agreements on how much was going to would have to be reduced and by whom um, instead of just saying uh, the ultimate goal of of of, of staying uh, well below um, uh, two degrees and and, and preferably at, uh, at at just one and a half so mm. i think there's a clear connection between leadership the threats to democracy and the absolute failure of taking climate action and what the world economic forum is doing now they only look at the ultimate result which is less climate action uh, or a complete lack of effective climate action but they don't mention the real structural problem behind it that is just a lack of leadership by those very same leaders that are that are active in the world economic forum so it's yeah. It's 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 puzzling what is what is happening here. But uh, yeah, I said this would be a negative broadcast. Well, if you take this <laughs> kind of conclusion, I'm I really one... worried for for the future of 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 the planet with these kind of leaders. Yeah, and it's not exactly like um, you know international cooperation is doing any better anywhere else in the world, is it? I mean, I'm from Britain, and here we've pulled out of the European Union, which was. Um, which could describe itself as a global leader at some points in the in the fight against climate change, and now where you know Britain is outside of that, um, in some ways, you know, climate action is unraveling, um, or certainly not cohesion cohesive enough as it should be. Um, I saw one interesting thing today actually that said that Angela Merkel, who who of course uh, stepped down as Chancellor last year after sixteen years, was it? I think yeah. she. Yeah. Um, she could take over as the head of the UN Climate Change Secretariat. She's tipped as somebody who could take over from Patricia Espinosa, who's the head of the Secretariat mm-hmm. at the moment, a former Mexican environment minister, uh, a foreign minister. Angela Merkel herself was, um, you know, an environment minister in, in Germany back in the 90s, um, who launched the whole process towards the Kyoto Protocol um, and, you know, has pretty good, credentials on the environment overall apart from you know <laughs> disputes about dirty yeah, coal power and so on yeah i heard this um, for the first time i'm not sure if i'm too enthusiastic i mean of course with the stature of of of, of having been uh the Bundeskanzler for for 16 mm. years um and basically having been a pretty good one i mean that is positive but on the other hand it was under her leadership that they took the ridiculous decision to stop with nuclear energy and therefore increase the use of coal, therefore increase the German contribution to climate change. And I think that has been a disaster that the the biggest industrial power in Europe uh, was under her leadership increasing the use of coal um, and, and taking away 
which is a form of, nu- of, of, of renewable energy. You can discuss about that for a long time, but <laughs> at least I would say nuclear with all its, with all its flaws, and, and I've been against it when I was much younger, Nuclear is um, is is not as bad as fossil fuels, so I'm not sure if this is if this is good. I I, I see her force and her network and her experience, but I don't see her as a very green green leader to a better world. No, um, I yeah, I mean, let's see the the European who was it labeling. Um, nuclear power is green the other day in, in Europe, the European Commission suggesting it could be labeled as green power. I'm not so convinced by that. But I can yeah. see, you know, with the high gas prices, yeah. the high energy prices we have in Europe at the moment and around the world, indeed, uh, are a failure of this green transition. We just haven't put in place enough wind power, solar power to take up the slack when when there are big swings in volatile energy prices, which, again, this World Economic Forum uh, warns about there's going to be a huge sort of back and forward about energy prices and tensions over energy prices in in coming years. And um, yeah, I mean, I, uh, my view is that Angela Merkel, if she were to take a job like that, she would just with her network, like you say, um, she just has a bit more clout perhaps with world leaders uh, than many past um, heads of the of the Secretariat, and she might be able to bash some heads together even though they might say behind her back, Germany didn't do like it promised. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, the, the, the fact that, let's say, her stature, that somebody at such a high level uh, takes over such a job, that's, that, isn't, that is certainly an indication that climate has moved up higher on the agenda. So that is certainly a positive uh, development. Uh, yeah, I, I, see that, I see that part too. So I'm a, I'm a bit... I'm a bit mixed here in in, um, uh, in 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 how to see this. Um, maybe they should have asked Barack Obama. Uh, for <laughs> <laughs> I think he's got well, a lot of things on his mind these days. Yeah. Looking through this report, actually, um, Alex, I was looking at some of the things that they didn't include at the top of the risk, uh, top of their list of risks, and they say that um, technological risks such as Digital inequality and cybersecurity failure, you know, are other critical short-term, medium-term risks. But they fall in the rankings in the longer term, uh, they because people don't think they're going to be that severe. And then they add that signalling a possible blind spot in risk perceptions. So they're kind of undermining their own findings by saying that maybe we've got it wrong. Maybe these people, these forecasting the next 10 years, and they don't sort of think about cybersecurity failure, which which seems a pretty, should be higher up on the list to me as well, um, yeah. that they've, they've let it, they've, it, it slipped out of the top 10 rankings yeah. there. Yeah, I think one of the problems you have with this, this list is that it's, of course, relative. So they say, what is... The biggest risk, but it could well be that what is now, let's say, whatever number six on the list, is in if you could measure it in its in its quantity of its risk, that is a much bigger risk than the number number one of ten years ago. The whole world is getting much more risky. So instead of a top ten, we need maybe now a top fifty of all kinds of risk. And I think the other 
The other trend that is taking place is that all these risks are compounding each other. If you look at the first report from 2006, it's more like we have a number of separate risks. One was weapons of, of, of mass destruction that could go off or and, and, and end up in the wrong hands. And another one uh, was something like the situation in Iraq. But these were not really connected. But I think nowadays, when you look about, if you look at all these risks, there are so many more logical connections between all of them, like the one I said on 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 on, on lack of leadership and 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 loss of democracy um, compared to climate change. But there's also a connection between climate change and pandemics, and there's a connection between pandemics and um, loss of biodiversity. So so all these risks are getting more interconnected, and that makes it more and more difficult to tackle all those risks because you just taking one of them is it's a kind of what do you call that a multi-headed monster when you kick off the one head yes. Uh, yes. it grows back and you have your, your hydro one, yeah. another two <laughs> and um it's, it's so the world has grown so much more complex and I, i've been following world politics uh, basically all my life but let's say actively the past 35 years or so and I've never seen the world so volatile and so dangerous and so difficult to predict as it is right now. And that, 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 that is, I, I think that is, that's a deeply worrying trend. And every year it seems to get worse. Really, during the, the before the fall of the, the Berlin Wall, weren't you worried, more worried about no, geopolitical tensions in those days? It was relatively stable. Yeah. yeah, I think it was relatively. There was just one big conflict. Yeah, there was the mutually assured destruction, mad, which yes. was really mad. But it was so mad that it it works. If one would push the red button, the other one would do the same thing, and you would both destroy each other, and therefore you would never do it. There was this cartoon of two guillotines standing next to each other on the Place de la Concorde in in in, uh, in Paris. And they both hold the rope of the other one. So if one lets the rope go, then the other one loses his head and let it go as well. And and that was that was the situation. It was, it was horribly dangerous. And basically, those weapons are still all there. And there's actually more countries now that have those weapons. But it was a kind of well, on the one side, but let's say a two-sided world. There was there was capitalism, communism. There was the West. There was the East. Uh, there was NATO. There was the Warsaw Pact. They never fought each other except for doing it in other people's countries. So let's say in Angola, Mozambique, etc. There was a hot war in the in the days that we called it the Cold War, and that was very much those kind of that kind of warfare. Uh, you've seen your share when you lived in, in Latin America, I suppose, in Middle America. But um yeah. in uh it was better understood that was that was it. That was the big picture. Now all those new things like like the the cybersecurity and all the environmental kind of problems that are related to it and the pandemic etc. Um, and then the the, the 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 lack of leadership and the lack of trust in our leaders. I think all of those things. I think it's just much more complex now to understand what is going on uh, than it was in those days because it used to be more stable and now it's more dynamic in a negative sense. So, yeah. Yeah. Although, you know, looking at the top 10 list here of the risks of the next 10 years, you know, war doesn't appear there. Um, there's social cohesion erosion, which I guess could be social conflicts and stuff. But I, I wonder, you know, a few years ago, 
people were a lot more worried about terrorist attacks, weren't they? A decade ago, after the 9-11 attacks in the United States and all through you know, recent years, there's been much more focus on the fears of terrorism. I mean, no matter how bleak this, this report yeah. is, I mean, this, bleak, this report is pretty grim where, you know, just um, over the next three years, only 10.7% say they can foresee an accelerating global recovery. Um, The rest of the people are pretty gloomy about it. You know, if I was an investor living on Mars or Jupiter, I'm not sure I'd be investing my money in this planet right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so it's not, not a good investment opportunity. But um, <laughs> no. uh, well, uh, coming back to what you just say about terrorism, if you would, uh, since since World Economic Forum is mostly about the Western world and, and, and not so much global because the people they interview and the CEOs are Western people, um, if you look at the victims of terrorism in the Western world, if you would compare that to a few days of traffic accidents in the Western world, then you you probably already hit the mark. I would be surprised if, I, I'm no expert there, but I would be surprised if there would be more than 10,000 people in the Western world that died from terrorism in, in the past 10 years or past 20 years, mm-hmm. um, which is probably equal to just so many days of traffic accidents. So that is in, or compared to, to the pandemic, for instance, only in the U.S., they are now rapidly going towards, what is it, no, nearly 900,000? 900,000, yeah. Close to a million people died right. on a population of, what is it, 360? 360 million, yeah. So, so basically one in 400, that's a very quick calculation, yeah. about one in 400 Americans yeah. has now died on right. COVID. And, right. uh if you compare that to the number of Americans that died on terrorism, that must be, I don't know, one in hundred thousand or something. I have no idea. Let's let's say nine yeah. eleven was roughly about yeah. three thousand on a population of of three hundred thousand. So that is just a million. fraction of of, um, of 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 so the real so the perceived risk was real. Yes. Um, and and of course, there's no American or no European that hasn't been in a situation where you don't feel at ease because you are at an airport and a bomb might explode. But the chance of of being hit by such a bomb is is getting close to winning a lottery. It's um, minuscule, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you look, looking back at either. So yeah. whereas COVID is now is now predicted that. Half of the people in, in, in North America or Europe will will get COVID within the next two months or something. That was astonishing, wasn't it? Yeah, I know a lot of people are here in Norway where I am who are suddenly going down with COVID now. Um, but you know, the global the global death toll is what between five and a half and six million, I think, at the moment, rising towards six. So that's mm-hmm. an awful lot. Fewer relatively than in the United States or in in, in Europe, but maybe yeah, but many many deaths are not recorded, are they? Yeah, there's this. But, yeah, exactly that point. There's this fascinating map. If you look on um, on Twitter to Max Roser, um, who who uh, coordinates nowadays this um, world world statistics. I've forgotten the name. World in data or something. Yeah, uh, world in data. Yeah. He made. Yeah. 
he compared two maps. One is the one you see every day in the New York Times of where the COVID deaths are, and they're all in Western Europe and, and, and in North America and in Australia or something. Um, but then he compared it to a map of the changes in the uh, demography in the world. So in uh, the number of uh, deaths that you would normally not have expected in a country. And then suddenly the whole world map turns dark brown or whatever color they use. That's a completely different map. So you see it in the world statistics in, 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 uh, in the in the lack of population growth that we would normally have expected if you compare it to three or four years ago. Yeah. So the, the real number must be much, much higher. Yeah. And uh, just looking back at these the risks that we're talking about at the World Economic Forum, you know, one of them is the biodiversity loss comes in at number three, where we're talking about the loss of species of animals and plants, aren't we? We're coming back to this issue of the, the sixth extinction that we're facing at the moment. Um, you know, wiping out millions of species potentially because of um, because of climate change and worsening threats from pollution and invasive species and 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 uh, and uh, you know just loss of habitats and uh, you know there's a, we were talking about the other day that there's going to be a summit this year to try and halt this biodiversity loss. Um, so let's hope that that will drop down the list next year of the perceived risks if governments do at least promise to protect 30% of the planet, um, so oceans and lands uh, at this summit um, it, by 2030 is the goal. But let's see if they do it. Yeah, the, the rate of, of, of extinction that is going on, it's, it's incredible. We're losing uh, many, many species per hour that we have never even even registered. We don't even know how many species there are in the world. We've we've registered about a million, but there's probably like eight million or something. And uh, we're just losing them, and we don't know what kind of use these species may have for us in the future for fighting diseases or whatever. And we don't know clearly what the role of these species is in in, um, in 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 the food chain and in the in the in the ecosystems um, and of course we, we we shouldn't start with the way that I just started in saying that uh, we should should look at this through the prism of what what's in it for us it's it's we just we should do everything we can to preserve nature and we are we're rapidly going the wrong way. And this is not something that has been going on for many, many centuries. Um, it, yeah, we did, some species did die out in the 17th century, like the dodo on the island of Mauritius and Réunion or something. But this acceleration in, in dying out is only from our lifetimes. And now we are at, at such an incredible speed of of wiping out all kinds of species and we have no idea what the ultimate impact of all that is going to be but one one of them is likely that we will see more pandemics because if you have a less resilient ecosystem and if we push species to live together that normally don't 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 meet each other because we've been cutting the rainforest or whatever uh, you get more pandemics it's just one of the many negative results that we will see of this so this could also be another number one. There's a lot of 
potential number one candidates on this list of uh, of ten. Yeah, let's see if lack of leadership turns up as number one like next year, like as you suggest. I think that it'd be good to good if world list world leaders are listening to this. Your idea there, and of course, you know, last year was as we were. As you were saying initially in the start, you know, last year was the fifth warmest year on record, wasn't it? It's, um, yeah. The, the last seven years have all been the warmest on record. Um, yeah. And last one, year one, we were helped with an uh, La Nina event, so it, it it cooled it down a bit. So that was, uh, but this this other statistic of that the last seven years were the the, the hottest seven years ever. That is, of course, a longer period than just looking at the last year, and that that is more relevant. And uh, yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, the science is clear. The 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 planet is rapidly heating up. Uh, if you if you, you 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 just just follow uh, the Keeling curve going up. So this this guy that they were, I think it was 1959 that he started on on uh, Mauna Loa on on Hawaii. Uh, to, to I went there one time, yeah. All the all the time, yeah. To to measure all the time the CO two CO two concentration in the atmosphere, and it is just it is just steadily going up. And there's e- even the pandemic didn't didn't make a dent in it. It's 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 just. Um, uh, and then it's interesting to read in the newspapers the very positive tone uh, when the economy is growing. It's, it's there's there's never somebody saying oh this is actually pretty bad because you you know the the economy is growing now with six percent or something um, this uh, this has actually environmental consequences that is another journalist writing about it on page number yeah. six yes. but it's 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 a happy story when the economy is growing which I think is perfectly fine if it's let's say the services sector. But often it's an indication of of industry and use of fossil fuels that is also increasing. And and it seems that those you, you you're an experienced journalist. I've I've the impression that the environmental journalist doesn't coordinate with the economics journalist in the very same newspaper on how you uh, how think, you write about yeah. those issues. I think they often live in silos. Yeah, the economics desk is a, a bit far away from the the environment desk you know so that um when saudi aramco for example um listed on the on the stock exchange um there were very very few reports that pointed out the the difficulty perhaps of selling oil in 20 30 40 years time um which an environmental journalist might have might have um might have pointed out to them and i remember there was a time when tata motors in india uh, unveiled a new car which was to be sold within india with a sort of tiny little motor in it which was going to make um cars affordable for people in india and all of the stories in the international press that day were about the risks to global warming of everybody in india starting to drive cars rather than going around a little on bicycles or 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 motorbikes or something how terrible this was going to be the very same day i think it was ford unveiled a massive new monster truck in wherever it was in the United States. And not one of those articles mentioned the risks of climate change from going around in this gargantuan truck, which was, you know, whose mileage per gallon was, um, you know, sort of tiny compared to these tiny little motors in the Tata Motors, um, uh, Tata Motors vehicles. So, yeah, there's a disconnect, isn't there, sometimes? There's um, a one huge thing, disconnect, one... yeah. And and I think 
also in um, the uh, in the in this top ten of of risks. One that I'm missing, and it's just because you are mentioning this that I'm thinking of it. Um, that is uh, the um, uh, sorry, I got something uh, popping in that distract me for a moment. But um, uh, is inequality? Why is uh, why is inequality not on the list? Because Anything you are discussing about world problems nowadays, it is basically one big problem of who is going to get what while we don't have enough of it. And this example of 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 um, uh, poor people in India finally being being able to drive a car after for for a century, not being able to do so compared to the the latest uh, Ford monster uh, that that is using too much um, uh, fossil fuels. That that is that that nails it exactly exactly and and this whole whole issue of inequality in the world is essential. You can't solve the biggest problems in the world if we don't look at the problems of of inequality because there is going to come a point where the rest of the world is saying the way that the West is living is is. Is, is unacceptable and yeah. um, so that is um, I think that voice will only become louder and I think rightly so yeah actually the, rep- the report does talk a little bit about digital inequality um, further down but it doesn't list among among the top 10 longer term risks you know they it talks about digital inequality because three billion people are remain offline um, so clearly you know as you say that's 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 a terrible point of inequality but there are many and other equally deep inequalities in the world when you know that as it talks about the there's hunger will be worse in future probably um for for millions of people um uh people are yeah 51 million people and it is a projected increase in extreme poverty you know so hunger and poverty are, are um, also among huge inequalities that we'd still need to get over we've got the you know the 2030 sustainable development goals where we're meant to eradicate these problems from the world um there's been some pretty massive progress in recent years to 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 get to 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 along the way here but it's it's been at at the cost of the environment in many cases hasn't it we haven't cleaned up the environment and grown the economies um anything like what we should be doing and the destruction of the environment leads to this poverty because so many people are losing, losing their land and are losing the the, the 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 means to be productive. If it just gets too hot and too dry and you can't grow your food anymore, at a certain moment you have to to abandon your lands, and that is now happening every year at at an increasing scale. And those people that just that are so close to poverty that are now pushed into poverty because of this kind of 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 of, of climate change related problems and water related problems the once they end up in poverty there's there's hardly a system to get them out of it anymore so the the inequality be, between you know the the jeff bezos types that uh, fly their 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 rockets uh, to 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 wherever out of space and then back just as a holiday trip uh, compared to more and more people being pushed in poverty and people being pushed away from the lands and 
and uh, predicted hundreds of millions of people that's already by mid-century, just, just 30, wa- 30 years away from now, that have nowhere to go, that are just being pushed away by sea level rise, etc. So increasing inequality has historically never been a good thing for stability and, and, and progress in the world. So the World Economic Forum, of course, ruled by, by the haves and not by the have-nots. Uh, comes up with this list, but it would be fascinating to create a World Economic Forum in a completely different place than Davos. Uh, do it in uh, in whatever in Somalia, and then invite uh, people from from anywhere from from Bangladesh to 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 to, to other poor places in the world. Get them around the table and let them make a, a top ten of of risks in the world, and uh, they they might put on top um, uh, questions like like inequality and 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 lack of proper leadership in Western countries to to solve this. The, the kind yeah. of points that you now don't see on the list. So maybe that will be an interesting um, interesting suggestion to the make arrival. a world economic yes. forum that's really about the world, not a Western world economic forum. Yes. But yes. really, the People's Economic Forum, and uh, and you could actually, instead of economic, maybe say, you know, welfare or happiness or whatever people want to achieve. Uh, I yeah. don't think everybody's out on economic growth. Uh, it's sometimes a means to get a happier and a better life, but it should not be a means in itself. So maybe the whole... So world is Western world and economic is maybe not the best. So forum is still a good world. So we, we need the new forum and then uh, and and then get completely different people on board, uh, put young people in there, young people from non-Western countries. Um, um, it, it would be interesting what kind of list they would come up with. It's interesting. Just, I wonder, do they publish the list of the thousand people they've asked here? I wonder. It would no, be interesting I've to never, know who they are. I've um, never the seen diversity. It. I've looked for it, but oh, I, really, yeah. I was never. I've, I've looked for it in the past. All um, right. I know there are yes. CEOs of big companies on there. I know there are some some presidents of 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 think tanks, uh, but I have the impression that it is overwhelmingly uh, the Western world. Indeed, uh, that, is, that is represented there, and uh, maybe you could set uh, up a rival, Alex. Somewhere <laughs> you could, <laughs> or maybe you could, because <laughs> I, I think you're right on things like climate change. I think there's, a, I've been to so many of these um, international climate negotiations as a journalist, and you have the the Western world, the the rich world, so often underestimates the fury there is among um, developing countries that. Uh, you know that they don't get the help that they they're expecting that they've been promised. You know the, the developed countries promised to provide a billion dollar, a hundred billion dollars a year by 2020 to help developing countries cope with climate change, and you know so far they come up with 80 billion a year, um, and they sort of think, okay, well we'll try and reach this goal by 2023 probably, and and you know when 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 developing countries see trillions of dollars being spent on economic recovery programs domestically for um, coming out of the COVID pandemic or hundreds of billions of dollars spent on bailing out banks. And they think, well, you know, excuse me, you've, you've, you've 20 
billion dollars shortfall on your promise to yeah. solve what you say is the biggest problem in the world. You know, the climate change here tops has got the global economic forums. Uh, top three spots are taken up by environmental problems. One of the big ways you could set us on the right track to doing that would be to honor your commitments to developing countries to mobilize these 100 billion. You know, there are always excuses not to do it. The, the promise said we will mobilize 100 billion a year from both public and private sources. So mobilize is a sort of slippery word here because it doesn't mean we're going to write the check, um, but we will encourage other people to do it. You know, but you've fallen short, you should honor your commitments. Yeah, and then a lot of that 80 billion was money that was already there and is just being relabeled as it was, let's say, a water project. And now since water is related to climate, uh, since it has to do with rain and, 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 and drought, etc. So suddenly the water project is now a climate project. And a lot of that 80, 80 billion a year is, is, is that kind of um, climate washing, if that is a word. Uh, <laughs> Probably is. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's an absolute disgrace that, that even that uh, wasn't there. And that money that is being used instead in uh, stimulating the economy. A lot of that money is actually used for things like subsidies on fossil fuels, which is making the problem worse for the countries in, in, in the poorer part of the world. So the inequality is rising by those kind of policies. And it's uh, so the, the International Renewable Energy Agency um, recently said that there's 20 times as many um, subsidies on uh, on fossil fuels then there are subsidies on renewable energy so we're basing basically subsidizing both in the west as well as in the poor countries i should say but but especially in the west because there's more money there we are subsidizing the thing that that uh, that creates the horror of 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 the climate crisis in the poor part of the world in the very same countries that we denied the money that we had promised them to take care of the problem that we have created for them. Um, it's, it's, um, it's, it's a weird world that we are in. It's a weird world, isn't it? Yeah. And I'm it's looking at the economic... talk. We've, we've been talking for nearly an hour and it's, it's, it's lovely to see that some people are listening so long um, to, uh, to, to <laughs> two of us. That's, uh, that's a very good If there's one of the... the listeners that has a question, there's um, you, you can just um, raise your hand, so to say, uh, and, um, and, and, uh, and let us know if, if you have a question. Um, the only effect I see is that Kate is joining us now um, and, uh, hi, Kate. I was just saying that if you have questions, you can uh, you can raise your hand. Um, if there aren't any questions, um, what do you have? Do you have some like last thoughts to uh, to share with us before we are kind of closing down? I I think you started off perfectly well here, saying how bleak this was. I even had to look up this report where it says that. How do you feel about the outlook for the world? As you summed it up, there's like um, 16% are kind of positive or optimistic. But the other, the, the, they have the other groups that fall into concerned, which is like 60%. And then the worst category here is worried, which is 23%. You know, so <laughs> worried and concerned is the, is the theme of the outlook for the world, which is... Um, 
It's pretty grim, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty but, grim, and and I think the, the the worst thing we can do is be grim and be. We we should be worried, and we should be concerned, or whatever you want to call it. But I think we we should never give up. Um, we should we should keep looking for positive ways to to get out of it. And 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 that is maybe the biggest drama of all. That is that we know how to do it. We don't need new technology. We know exactly how to get out of this crisis. Um, we we have the knowledge. We have the money. We have the means to do it. And what we only need is international agreement and effective leadership and daring leaders that really dare to do things differently than we did in the past. And and that is that is something that's ultimately lacking. And it's it's sad to see that things first have to get worse before we 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 have a chance to to get things better. So yeah, so what I do is my little little bit of influence that I can have is to apart from warning the world for the track that we are on and I've been doing that for 15 years or so um, I increasingly focus on the beauty that we have all around us because then we then we get more then we're more aware of what is at stake the beauty of the nature around us or this morning I, I wrote about the, the beauty of a rainy city in the middle of the night and uh, there's there's so much that is worth uh, preserving, and uh, and I think that's that sense of optimism that we can do things, and that it's worth to to fight for it. I think that is uh, that is a voice we should maybe hear more about in, instead of all the doom and gloom that we need for the bigger perspective. But it 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 shouldn't be the only narrative. So it's so I'm normally a bit on balancing on both legs in uh, in this approach. I think you're right. I think that's a good way to sum it up. You know, we need to be positive about the possibilities of the human spirit. We can erase all these inequalities if we put our minds to it. We can solve climate change. We can solve the biodiversity crisis. We can, we can fix it. People are so inventive, aren't they? And I'd recommend to anybody to read your uh, writings on the planet substack dot com. Oh, thanks. <laughs> it's so wonderful. Much. Yeah, if we're making commercials for each other, everybody <laughs> read, read Alistair's uh, book, The Great Melt, which is also wonderful. Okay, so with that, we're a non-commercial non program. We're just promoting each other's products here. Um, we uh, we already said before we started this uh, today's show that you will um, uh, most likely be back here uh, next week uh, because um, I... I kind of like the the way we look at the week uh, every every time so it was either tuesday or thursday you said we weren't sure yet i think thursday actually probably yeah yeah thursday. that's fine so with you most yeah. likely i hope that the the listeners that were here uh, will be back uh, next uh, next thursday uh, probably same time same place i see some people clapping that is really nice there's this clapping sign thank you at the, at the bottom right <laughs> Okay, thanks also for the audience. Great that, uh, that you were you Thank you, everybody. Here. And we'll see each other next week. And uh, th thanks a lot, Alistair, also for joining. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Bye.